0: I wouldn't be surprised to see plus five GDP growth by the end of the year, or even higher. It's a whole bunch of things. People getting back to work, people spending more money, right? The consumer sector is huge in this country. People investing more because they've deferred or delayed investment for a year, year and a half. So I think it'll be good for, it should be a a very strong economy, at least for the next two years in this recovery mode. You know, maybe we'll learn to, you know, another maybe lesson out of this would be there's certain things we have to manufacture here. You know, I I think we're a little flat-footed when it came to medical supplies, right? A lot of things that we need urgently, but we had to wait because they're being imported from other countries. So, yeah, I think we might reshore some medical supply chains because of that, and, and that'll be a boon for the economy as well.
1: This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to this week's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, which is episode two of a two-part episode where I interviewed David Lynn, who is President and Chief Investment Officer at White Oak Healthcare Finance, where he runs the Healthcare MOB REIT. And we talk a lot about the resiliency of the healthcare real estate asset class that held its value through the pandemic, and we get to know a little bit about David in this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. I know every dip in the cycle kind of has you change a little bit of your underwriting, but has the pandemic done anything to affect, you know, do you think of other things while you're underwriting new properties?
0: Well, certainly, yeah, we, you know, through the pandemic, it's not quite over. That was a part of our investigation, our our due diligence and our our underwriting. You know, what is the impact of the current impact of COVID? What is the, the potential future impact of COVID? And so, you know, we looked at it very carefully. You know, typically there wasn't much of an impact. And then in terms of going forward, what things would we look for? I think we'd look for pay more attention to clean building, so to speak, about what we can do going forward to you know better purify the air that is circulated. So the HVAC systems and and the filters, I think are something we're we're going to think about more and more going forward. And then having some cases, you know PPE available gratis in, in the building lobby. Because I think those new protocols might, you know, they might be permanent or semi-permanent, but a lot of people are still in it. So that's important. And then we looked at even UV lights and the efficacy of that killing virus and bacteria. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those are some of the the issues.
1: And even if you did them like in the bathrooms and then, you know, probably now it's going to be pretty standard to have a hand sanitizing station next to a water fountain.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's part of part of that. That we're doing in our buildings in the lobby and, and in the bathrooms and yeah it's an inexpensive easy thing to do and I think it's one of those things that, that might actually sink in and become a, a long-term habit and it's it's not a bad habit when you think about it right sanitizing your hands because your hands touch everything and then your hands of course touch your face, face. I think there's <laughs> a study that the average person touches his face something like 60 times a day or you know it's a <laughs> I don't like I don't didn't realize it I don't yeah. think I do that you know that much but so that that's an important and then the face mask, I think that, that might actually people some people might be more comfortable, particularly in a, a medical setting, to wear a face mask.
1: Yeah. Or if you're not feeling well just to say, Hey, I'm not feeling well, but I need to be out and about. I can't be laying down, but I'm gonna, you know, protect you and you know, still function. I,
0: it's a good practice. I mean, I lived and worked in Asia and it's pretty common in, in some places in Asia, in, in Japan, for example, you know, when people get sick, they just put on a mask and it's really for the public benefit.
1: Yeah. And especially on a plane, like if you're traveling and you you know have a little bit of a cold, I mean, I think it's nice not to be in an enclosed capsule with a bunch of people, you know, sneezing all over the place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I, I hear you. I think, I think I got, a you know, at least on one flight, a very bad flu. But it's also good if you, if you like to talk to yourself like me. You know, no one can tell. You have the mask on and so you're not having a good day. You're not smiling. You have the mask on. It's really good.
1: Yeah, exactly. So where is healthcare MOB refocusing its roadmap for the next three to five years? Anything new or different or more of the same?
0: Really more of the same. I mean, it's really about singles and doubles, you know, the average size MOB for us and demographics are good to go where, you know, people are going and and growing, but you don't have to be per se, because a lot of people age in place. In fact, most people age in place. They don't really Majority of people don't go to Florida or Phoenix to retire, just to so, you know look at those those fundamentals. You know the pair mix, demographics, you know age and and incomes and kind of attributes like that, and, and and specifics of the building, of course. But no, we're not you know focused on one city or or one region per se.
1: And just healthcare real estate in general, you know, medical offices. Do you feel like there there needs to be more development? Do you feel like development is meeting demand, or do you feel like the there's a definite difference in supply and demand out there? I think there's a
0: rough equilibrium, probably a little shortage of supply. It's very difficult to to entitle the buildings to build them. They're, they're, they're purpose-built, right? They're not built overnight. You know, regulatory issues you've got to be aware of, comply with. So I think there probably could be a bit more development. Not too much. We don't want to flood the market. But I think demand is increasing dramatically for the existing factors of an aging population, more maladies to treat more technology that can be applied. So those are really pushing demand. And then I think you have COVID, which is, you know, people are terrified about their health, right? they it's front and center, top of mind, your health, particularly if you do have, unfortunately, pre-existing conditions, right? You're extra sensitive about that. And, right. uh, but for, for all of us, who maybe been exposed or gotten the virus? There might be longer term effects. We don't we don't fully know yet. Right. You know, it's still being researched. There's still data coming out. We don't really know. So so I think, and a lot of people have deferred or or just not gone to the doctor in a year and a half, right? So there's a lot of pent up demand. You know, that ranges from really critical and chronic issues to you know just I need a checkup. I haven't done that in a year and a half. Right. So we'll see that demand as an unwound spring being released over the next, you know, two to three years, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope the emphasis on health and wellness, because I do think if you, if you know some things that are happening, you can do some course correcting. I mean, obviously chronic conditions can't, but I think that there's a lot that if we are continually monitoring our health or getting, you know, checkups and certain things are out of whack one year, you know, maybe there's some things you can do before it becomes, a chronic illness that requires you know, a ton of expense and recovery and heartache.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that's good for everybody. It's good for society. It reduces the cost of medicine You know, when you treat somebody, when it's an emergency, when you can't really do very much, it's usually more expensive and the outcomes are not as good. But I think if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's, it's think about your health and be more proactive about your health, right? We, we've seen people with comorbidities and pre-existing conditions having a much higher mortality rate, radically higher. And I think, and that's a good number of folks in this country because obesity is, is unfortunately one of those. And so I think I saw a stat that you know half of Americans are obese, which is frightening and mm-hmm. terrible. <laughs> I'm not criticizing people who are obese, but you, know, you have to think about your health more carefully, right? Be- because we may, may not have seen the end of this pandemic. There might be another one. We might be in for you know, a whole round, a whole regime of, of virus, you know, spreading rapidly around the world. So, yeah. So that could be a good thing that we think about our health. We're hopefully managing our health better. You know, we're getting more diagnostics and, and, and we're trying to stay healthier. I mean, that, that's really the bottom line. We're trying to to stay healthier. Certain things you can't, you can't do, you can't prevent, but even aging, you know, if you have regular contact with your medical service provider, you're going to have more information, you're going to be in a better position to respond when issues come up.
1: Yeah. And I think education on diet and exercise, and you don't have to be super aggressive, but, you know, if you just walk, I mean, I think I, I saw people wanting to walk more, which I think is great. And, you know, and I think diet, you know, we, we have a lot of fast food that is easy and convenient and, and people and taste good because <laughs> that's what they want. They want you to keep coming back, but. you know, No, we do. I mean, context. our
0: diet is a big part of it, in this country, unfortunately. I mean, when you travel abroad, to Europe, especially, it feels like the the diet is, the choices available to you are healthier. And they've never heard of pork rinds, you know, or Doritos. You can cut that out later, but there there are certain things. I just had a bag of pork rinds last night, so look at me. (laughs) But yeah, we we don't have the healthiest diet. And And I I, think we need to be better at making choices.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to tap into your, your brain as an economist a little bit. So, you know, how do you predict that the U.S. economy overall will recover from this? I think it
0: will recover well. I, I do. I, you know, Anytime when you suppress the economy and we had negative growth, extreme negative growth there because we shut a lot of our economy down, most of our economy down for a long period for, for a year or, or more, you have a rebound recovery effect. And I think we're going through that right now. There's a big shortage of employees around the country. Many industries are growing very quickly. Construction is, is growing like wildfire. So I think the recovery will be strong this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see plus five GDP growth by the end of the year, or even higher. It's a whole bunch of things, people getting back to work, people spending more money, right? The consumer sector is huge in this country, people investing more because they've deferred or delayed investment for a year, year and a half. So I think it'll be good for, it should be a, a very strong economy at least for the next two years in this recovery mode. You know, maybe we'll learn to, you know, another, maybe lesson out of this would be there's certain things we have to manufacture here. You know, I I think we're a little flat-footed when it came to medical supplies, right? A lot of things that we need urgently, but we had to wait because they're being imported from other countries. So yeah, I think we might reshore some medical supply chains because of that. And and that'll be a boon for the economy as well. But yeah, I'm pretty sanguine about the prospects for for good high growth this year and, and next year. It should be a very good time for the the stock market in general and the economy in general. There's, a, there's just a big shortage of workers
1: right now. I keep it, hearing that. Yeah. Hey, what about the US compared to other other economies around the globe? Do you think we're gonna how do you think we'll compare? I think we'll
0: compare pretty well. I I think probably higher than than Europe. You know, you you know Europe is usually like a low beta kind of economy, you kind of know, regional economy. I think China will always outpace us. They already had a huge recovery. And they'll probably grow, you know, probably eight, nine percent or or higher this year. In terms of other emerging markets, I I think they'll they should do well. I mean, when an economy recovers, you know, it needs a lot of inputs, you know, a lot of raw materials, agricultural materials, you know, metals, energy, lots of raw inputs. So I think that'll benefit third world. Yeah, I think globally we should have a very good, very robust economy for the next couple of years. I both developed and developing markets is my view.
1: I like that. Okay. So we're going to move into the get to know you section, the interview. So I'll start with what was your, what was your first job?
0: First job. Wow. Memory lane here. (laughs) I don't know if my memory banks have, have enough juice here. I think it was like doing yard work for a neighbor. You know, I was watching TV and eating ice cream and A neighbor peeked in the door and said, you lazy bum, you know, you know, mow my lawn, I'll give you two bucks. I think that was my first job. I'm trying to think it's really dating me. My hourly rate was a dollar 25 and then it went up and I was overjoyed when I went to a dollar 50 per hour. So yeah, it was like doing handiwork yard work and then a a paper route concurrently. So I had a local paper route.
1: Very nice. So what would you be doing for a living if you were not working in healthcare real estate?
0: I'd be a, professional ice cream taster. I I think that was one thing I thought a lot about as a kid and and television critiquer. (laughs) No, I (laughs) I really like what I what I do. I like I love investing. I love economics. I love buildings and you know I like problem solving. I think, you know, I earlier on actually I was thinking about being an architect and, you know, realize I don't have the the drawing skills for that. You know, something about just being on a board for days on end. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Working throughout the night. No, I, I I think that morphed into you know liking buildings and then liking investment and development. You know, coming out of that. So what I do now is, yeah, it's hard to imagine doing anything different.
1: What's your favorite flavor of ice cream?
0: Now that's a really hard question because I like them all. Uh, I really like them all, but
1: top, top I guess three. my first love.
0: <laughs> okay, ch- chocolate. Oh, gosh, I'll be very pedestrian. Chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Uh, I'm a Neapolitan.
1: The Neapolitan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i like Some that. Of my
0: answers just come from naples so yeah
1: very nice you like the basics the core
0: yeah well i like the the other flavors too but yeah it's it's good to stick with the basics
1: what or who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration
0: you know a lot of the mainstream media i'm gonna sound very critical here and you, you know you're not you're not NBC or CBS or, or one of those, are you CNN? You're not no. one of those in disguise? Okay, uh, so no. I can speak I'm, freely. I'm
1: agnostic to the to news media.
0: I mean, the news has gotten a little bit more like entertainment, you know, the mass media. And then I think a lot of people, including myself, have gotten more news through the internet, media, you know, social media and various websites. So, And some that's pushed to me. So it's a little bit more convenient. But I do, you know, read still amazingly the Financial Times, AFT, the Wall Street Journal, and... I'm a an alum of MIT. And so there's some really great magazines they they give you as an alum. They send to you about, you know, their innovations, about how they look at society, about new technology, about progress. And, and I find those very inspiring, very informative. So I read those in terms of books. I used to be a big book reader. Reread one of my books that I wrote.
1: I was actually surprised. I ended up staying up till two in the morning one night reading most of it. And it was, it was a good, good read.
0: I got to. They both sound really good. Yeah. I might look for this.
1: So, what is one thing you do every day for healthy self care?
0: Drink a glass of whiskey on the rocks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Not much. I, I should do more. I'm around health, you know, healthcare, but not much.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like you're reading. I mean, that's, that takes some time to, you know, sit and digest.
0: I think I kind of became more sedentary over the last year and a half with COVID quite frankly. And, and so I used to work out pretty much every day and try to play a sport, tennis or, or something, basketball. But I, I'd like to get back to that. Yeah, I think COVID has not been great for, for a lot of people in terms yeah. of being sedentary.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Getting back into, you know, a lot of those things. Well, and a lot of the even, you know, adult teams, they they weren't playing and stuff. So it's really hard to find gyms. Some were open, some were closed. It's just kind of a mixed bag.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, team sports were out, you know, I, I would play tennis and basketball and, you know, none of that. I couldn't even go to the fitness center that was closed. And, but yeah, a little bit of walking here and there, but you know, I'm trying to get back into it. Yeah. What do you do?
1: I work out every morning and I, I get bored quite easy. So I have a variety, but my core is the kind of like cardio with like hit and weights. And then my family wanted a Peloton, but I'm the only one that uses it religiously which I knew was going to happen. So I was fine with it, but I do that. So I I try to do a fair amount of weights and run and bike. And here in Phoenix, Arizona, there's a lot of hiking you can do and how how much time and how aggressive you want to be. It can be a half hour, easy hike, or you can take an hour and a half and go pretty, pretty high up in elevation and come straight down.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that, that camelback hike is quite strenuous.
1: It is. Yeah, that's really close to me, so I, I can get to it. But surprisingly enough, if you don't want a ton of traffic, you have to go in odd hours, which right now is when it's really hot or when it's dark. So,
0: yeah, well, dark can be dangerous up there. <laughs> <laughs> step yeah. on a rattlesnake or something, or exactly, boulder. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, you gotta have you gotta have your headlamp with you. So, last question: Are leaders born or trained? Hmm.
0: Nature or nurture? I knew I'd get this question. I think they're. I think they're trained. I, I really do. I think anybody could be a, a leader. I, I think it, it's your. A lot of ingredients go into that. It's your character, experience. It's your your failures, your setbacks. It's your determination, culture. It's a lot of things. But I think anybody can do it really. But I think that one of the keys is sticking your neck out. You know, taking responsibility. You know, not running off. You know, behind a rock when when bad things happen. And, you know, thinking about other people, you know, your company, your team, and, and trying to respond to problems and failures that happen to everybody. The business world is dynamic, right? And, and so a lot of things happen. And I think you, you've got to pivot, you know, trying to find a way to, to, to get to the goal line. So no, they're definitely it's learned and, and, and it's taught and, and you can teach yourself to be a good leader. And, you, know, you can be really proactive about that. Yeah. And I think when you're young, you can, there are things you can do, like, you know, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, you know, being on teams, being a leader there, being a leader in the classroom, the ac- academics, you know, so there, there are many ways, many ways to, de- to develop your leadership capabilities over time.
1: Well, I just heard this statistic because I was talking to somebody with the softball super regionals that are on right now and seeing those super competent women out there, but about 67 or, or high sixties percentage of college or competitive athletes are leaders when they go into industry just because they have a lot of confidence and they you know they've worked i mean you don't become a competitive athlete you don't wake up one day and become a competitive athlete there's a ton of grind you have to go through in order to get there
0: yeah and that's a great data point because it's sort of a simulation playing sports is a simulation of life in a way right because you have a problem you have a team you've got opposition you've got a goal and you'll experience both success and, and and failure. And you've got to learn to deal with both. And if you only deal, you only have success, you're in a very precarious position because you will eventually encounter failure and setbacks right. and people who don't have that experience, you know, need to get it. And there's no, you can't read a book and you can't go to a classroom to get that. It, it has to be in the real world. And the sooner you can start, I think the better, right? The 10,000 hours or, or more.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, David, for this wonderful interview. I
0: I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, me too.
1: I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers Properties and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.